Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're talking about um, the armor of God, and we're, this will be number five out of, number, uh, out of six different messages in this series. <clears throat> So, uh, as usual, our, uh, our text that we're using is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, and it reads like this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of the Lord and in uh, armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore. Having gird your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. Uh, the one thing about the armor of God uh, is we read through the list of the six different pieces of armor. We have a tendency to uh, possibly once in a while put our focus on one particular part of that armor. Uh, you know, we like the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, you know, just different things like that. Most of us really like the sword. Uh, you know, and because we're in a battle, and uh, the thing about this armor uh, of God is there are no of none of the pieces of this armor. None of the six are standalone armor. It, it, it takes all of the pieces of armor to protect us. So when we, when we read through this, it's important for us to, to understand that we need to put on the whole armor, the full armor of God. And uh, Paul reminds us of that at two different places as he uh, wrote this portion of Scripture. It's important for us to daily give attention to this, to putting on our armor and to maintaining our armor. You know, I, I, we all get up in the morning and, and, and we get dressed for uh, work or we get dressed for school or whatever we're doing over the course of the day and we primp and, and make sure our hair is just perfect. See, mine just always stays like this. But, you know, we, we do all of this work to prepare ourselves to go out into the world and do our work. And one of the things that I've noticed is that after an hour or so, my clothes get kind of askew, and I need to adjust them so that they feel better on me, and they look better on me, although that's hard. What was so funny about that? <laughs> but anyways, you know, and, and you want my clothes to be on me the best that they can be. <laughs> uh, 
So what we do different times during the day is we go and, and you know, we get our shirts tucked in or we primp and we maintain the way that we look because we want to look the best that we can so that we can perform the best that we can. And our armor is really no different than that. We need to give great attention to this armor of God. And we need to carefully put on each piece. And we need to maintain it all day long because we're in a battle. And in the heat of battle, armor can get shifted out of uh, out of sorts, and so it needs to be adjusted so that it's doing what it was designed to do. So it's important for us to, uh, you know, to maintain our armor. When we are intentional about our armor, what happens is it gives us more confidence. Because we don't have to worry about those attacks of the enemy because we know that our armor is put on, it is placed on us in the way where it will work the absolute best. And, and, and so when, when we go into battle with great con- or, uh, confidence, uh, in, our, in the protection that our armor affords to us, that confidence empowers. And empowerment makes us victorious. And I like to be victorious. I kind of like to beat the devil up once in a while instead of feeling like He beat me up. And I've noticed that the more attention that I give to this armor, my my relationship with God, the more that He empowers me and the more victorious I become in life. That's what God has designed us to be. He didn't design us to be beat up on He designed us to beat up on. He wants us to beat the devil into submission, just like Jesus did. We're made to handle him and to defeat him the same way that Jesus did on the cross. He is a defeated foe. He's not going to be defeated. He is defeated by the power and the grace of God that works on the inside of us. Having said that, this is where the armor of God comes in. God knew that the the attacks of the enemy would come against us. And it's been that way since the beginning with Adam and Eve. If it wouldn't have been that way with Adam and Eve, we probably wouldn't be in the position that we're in today where we need to be in battle or be battle ready. What the devil has been doing since the beginning with humanity is simply trying to alter what we believe about God And how gracious he is. He doesn't want us to come to the understanding that God is so great on the inside of us. He is so, his power is so resonant on the inside of us. His power so envelops our life that we are powerful against the devil. He is not powerful against us, not in the same sense. We never question the fact of whether Jesus is victorious over the devil or not, do we? He's always victorious. When you and I accepted Jesus Christ on the, uh, on the inside of us, he, he created us to be just like him. 
or maybe I should put it, he recreated us to be just like him. That means to me that if he's victorious over the devil, so am I. Because the very victory of God lives in me. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of confidence. And, and it empowers me when I see that the enemy's coming against me. I, I, I wish I could stand here and tell you that, bam, I'm, I'm just different when he attacks me. But, but sometimes it takes a little bit of time for me to redirect my mind to battle with the enemy in the way that God created me to do. But the, the longer I walk with God, the more that I know Him and the way that He loves me and the way that He works with me, the more instantaneous it is that I go to battle against the enemy and not cower before the enemy. He's trying to make us cower. He doesn't like it when we begin to find out who we are in Jesus Christ. What did he, and, and not only is he trying to alter what we think about God, but he's trying to get us to not understand that he is gracious and that he is gracious toward me. It's easy for me to look out over this congregation and, and, and think in my mind that, you know, he's gracious to every one of you, but I don't feel sometimes like he's gracious toward me. Ever been there? But he's gracious to you and he's gracious to me. And the word grace isn't, isn't purely only the unmerited favor of God. Even though it is the unmerited favor of God. And I don't diminish that. But it's much more than that. Because I, I, I found out that a part of the definition of the word, the grace of God, is, is this. It's God's ability to do in me what I cannot do for myself. There's a lot of things in this life I've discovered that I'm incapable of being able to do. But I've also learned that God's capable of using me to do what I thought was way too beyond my ability. Like standing here to talk in front of this this group of people. If you would have known me as a teenager, you would have chuckled like Cheryl did when I told her that I felt called into the ministry. I, I, she knew me. She knew that I was the, the, the guy that got up to do an oral book report and couldn't talk because every nerve in my face was jumping all over the place. I'm just saying. But when God calls us to do something that's beyond our ability, it's an amazing thing. I can't believe sometimes that, that he's given me opportunity to speak in front of thousands of people, not just a few. It's been all over the place. But it's the power of God working in me, not me. The devil wants to change our view of grace. He wants to change our view of who God is because if he can do that, 
He can affect our confidence. He can diminish it. And when he diminishes our confidence, guess what? He diminishes our power and he diminishes our victory over what we're going through. Those things work together always. But Jesus did something for us that when I began to understand it and I grasped a hold of this truth, it changed my life. Now I'm going to do something this morning that we don't do very often. I'm going to read a scripture out of the King James Version. Most, a lot of people get kind of scared when you say, I'm going to read out of the King James because their instant response to that is, well, I can't understand that. I don't understand all that verbiage. But I want, to, I, I, I want, I want us to understand that, that it's important for us to look at the whole Word of God in every single way that we possibly can. What I mean by that is, uh, I, I have this one Bible, it's about this thick and about this wide, and this, uh, maybe not quite that big, but it has 26 different versions of the Bible written in that one book. And it's not that the Bible is in there the whole 26 times, but when, when it, they, they copied a verse of Scripture, and I think that they used the King James as the basis, every other version that, that altered terminologies in that verse are also written in there. So there may be six on this verse, and eight or nine on this one, and, you know, it's, but they include 26 versions. And I've discovered that when I look at God's Word from different viewpoints, it creates in me what God wanted in the first place. You see, God wrote His Word not because He just wanted us to understand who He is and how powerful and awesome He is, but he wanted us to be able to catch this vision, this picture of who God is. And words, uh, for me, I, I can't speak for you, but I imagine you see words the same way that I do. They create pictures. When, when I see a story in the Bible, it creates a picture in my mind and in my heart. And so it's important for me to look at things from different perspectives. So, here's this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We, we, many of you may be able to quote it in your version of choice. That's awesome. But in the King James Version, it reads like this. And I, I'm going to use personal pronouns as I read through it. You'll see what I mean. It reads like this. For God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, again, I've looked at a lot of different versions, and almost every other version in the second half of that verse read like this, or similar to it. He made him sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, that's I don't really have a problem with that. I understand what they're saying. But the thing that stood out to me when I read it from the King James Version is it, it used the word that when Jesus became sin, 
on my behalf, on our behalf. When he raised us up, he made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus or in him. We are made to be something. I've been a woodworker all of my life. When I take a piece of wood in my shop and I create a cabinet or a piece of furniture or whatever it is that, that I want to I build, when I'm done with it, I have made something. If I make an entire kitchen and I install that in somebody's house, that kitchen cannot unmake itself. Nobody else can take that kitchen and make it another kitchen. It's already made to be the way that it is. When God, when I accepted Christ in my life, God made me to be righteous. But this is the way I started out my, my walk with God. Was, oh God, help me to be righteous so that I'm acceptable. And, and I lived my life for many years like that. And then all of a sudden, I, I saw that I'm made to be righteous. The devil cannot unmake me. To be righteousness. Whoever Jesus is, I am. That's one that's worth writing down. Jesus is the essence of God. He is the essence of love. He is the essence of righteousness. He is the essence of grace. He is the essence of everything that we want to be. This, this hunger that just tears us up at times. Jesus is the essence of that. And when I brought him into my life, let me rephrase that. When I asked him into my life, he made me who he is. And he is the essence of the righteousness of God. That gives me a lot of confidence. I don't ever wonder anymore whether I'm acceptable before God or not anymore. I, I don't question that. I am acceptable to him, not because I'm so perfect, even though Cheryl thinks I am. <laughs> but I'm perfect, not because I'm that good, I am perfect because Jesus is that good. And I'm made to be like him. That's the coolest thing. That power which saved us. Understanding that little old me, and old is not the operative word. <laughs> but little old me was made to be righteous before the God of the universe. Set me free from myself. And it set me free from the power and the lies of the devil. He doesn't like that, but it is what it is. The thing is, though, and, and going back to this whole concept of perfect... God knows that we aren't perfect. I know that you aren't any more than I am. But God, in his grace, 
and in his mercy has made provision for our frailties, our weaknesses. He gave us verses like 1 John 1, 9. It says there, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness, which means that if we don't have any unrighteousness, we're righteousness. And that's an ongoing process. It never stops in your life. Jesus is always taking all of the unrighteousness that exists on the inside of us, and He is... He is ridding us of that unrighteousness and restoring our righteousness. And it happens so fast. I mean, it's instantaneous. Because when we understand the goodness of God, we begin to live our life like 1 John 1, 9. Where it's the focus and the purpose of everything in our life. And it just is this constant work of God that's taking place on the inside of us. I'll be honest, I'm a whole lot nicer person than I was 50 years ago. Even Cheryl didn't know me then. I'm not proud of that stage of my life. But I'm proud of what God does in me day in and day out now. I'm proud of God, not proud of me. The value of this helmet of salvation is that it is the very power of God to protect the truth. The truth is the belt that goes around. And, and, and that belt was, was designed in, in such a way that, you know, we see guys that climb trees and guys that climb telephone poles and they, do, and they wear this safety harness. The straps that go over their shoulders and that goes down between their legs and, and, and cinches up around their waist. And, and we can't come out of that harness. Listen, we cannot come out of that harness unless we don't maintain it. And we, the, the, the belts all get worn out. But if we're maintaining this belt, what it does is it holds every piece of armor firmly in place. They can't move. It doesn't, it doesn't afford any area that is not protected when we have this armor held in place with the belt of truth. The devil cannot change your thinking if you hold fast to the truth of God's Word. If we're constantly putting the Bible, God's Word, into our heart, I don't know how God does it, but we put his Bible, his word into our heart, and he kind of causes it to ooze up into here. And it changes the way we think, because it, it, his word changes what we know about ourselves. He wants us to understand fully that we can do way beyond what we think we can do.
This helmet protects the knowledge of God and His Word that has or does renew our minds. God is in the business of renewing the way that we think about Him, but He's also renewing the way that you think about yourself. And that's equally as important. Because if we think of ourselves as being weak and incapable, guess what we become? Weak and incapable. But if we believe that we can do whatever God says we can do, and we keep renewing that thought on the inside of us by putting in what He said about us, it changes the way that we think about Him and the way that we think about us. And it gives me confidence knowing that, that God has empowered me. Not because I have confidence in me, but because I have confidence in Him. Changes everything in my life. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. And, and, and what Paul means by that, verse 1, is that we're presenting our body in such a way that we're making it do the right things. I'll be honest, I don't always want to get up at 5, 4, whatever time it is that I wake up in the morning. I don't want to get up and sit down with my Bible and spend some time reading. I, I, I want to sleep. But I can't sleep because I've got this incessant. It's just incessant. I can't help but want to read God's Word. And I, don't, I wish I had any idea how many times I've read it. I don't keep track. But I hunger for it more every time I read it. There's something about the life and the power that is in the Bible that draws us to it. It makes us more hungry and, and, and more desiring of, of what it says. And it's because it changes who we are. That's, that's our spiritual service to God. And the coolest thing about it is when I submit myself to Him, He makes me want to read it. And then He opens my mind so that I can understand it. It's all Him. And then He gets all the glory because He's the only one that deserves any glory. Not us. It goes on in verse 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's that word perfect. But that word perfect doesn't mean you never do anything wrong. It means maturity. God is in the process of maturing us in our relationship with Him. And 
It's an ongoing process in our lives. When we say yes to Jesus, he begins a process of maturing us. And then he continues to do that throughout our entire life. The proof spoken of is not only for those who openly observe and scrutinize everything about us. You see, God wants our lives to be an example so that there's proof that Jesus lives in us. I don't know if anybody in here else other than me has people that scrutinize everything about them. If you don't have enough, I'll give you some. Because there's plenty out there to go around. I learned something about 20 years ago. I saw this verse in the Bible. Jesus was talking to his disciples. And they were being kind of hard on the religious people. And he encouraged them. Really what he was doing was correcting them. Because he wanted them to understand. He said, you will be judged in the same way that you judge others. Think about that. To me, it's about the scariest verse in the whole Bible. Because I know me. I don't want to stand before God and have him say, Well, remember so and so? And how you judged them? And how you felt like you were a step above them? And... No, I, I don't want to go there. It changed the way I lived my life. It changed the way that I see people because then I began to ask God, help me to love people the way that you love people, which is way beyond my ability. That was free. But there are plenty people of people who observe and scrutinize everything in our lives. But more importantly, it becomes, this word proof, it becomes our, uh, in our own life that God is in love with me. He proves that he is in love with me. And he is willing to use me despite all of my frailties. You know, Paul killed who knows how many people that were a part of the church in the beginning. But Paul had something happen to him on the road to Damascus that changed his entire life. Every one of us has a Damascus moment. And when we ask Jesus to come in, that's our Damascus moment. And everything changes from that point on. The devil is always trying to find a chink in your armor. All he needs is just this tiny little space. If, we, if we're not maintaining our armor and, and some of the bucklers come loose on the shoulder coverings or, or something that he can get his little weaselly self down in there and, and try to negatively affect us, he's going to do it. He's looking for that. That's why it's important for us to maintain it. But he's looking for this chink. 
And in the case of the, the helmet of salvation, he can then come in and alter the way that we think about God and the way that we think about ourselves. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times from the enemy. Sure, God made you righteous. But that righteousness is predicated on how well you live up to God's word. See, that's just a, just one word he switches in that statement. It's predicated on, I guess that's more than one word. It's, nothing is predicated on that. Your righteousness is not predicated on what you do or don't do, right or wrong. Your righteousness is predicated on what Jesus did for you on the cross the moment you said yes to him. That's a pretty good deal for us. The truth is, in Philippians 3, verse 12, it says this. Paul said, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. I, I, I was kind of looking at at some of those statements this morning. And, you know, when, when Paul used the word laid hold of, it, the, the connotation behind that is that, that he was captured. You're, you're laid hold of, you're captured by something. And it, again, it, it kind of changed my, 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 the picture from the perspective that but I press on so that I may capture Jesus Christ in the same way that he has captured me. You know, again, it, it builds our confidence to know that, that he is at work capturing us, capturing our thoughts, capturing our life. As we try and work, or not, we, we, as we work toward or submit ourselves to capturing Him. Paul never considered himself to be perfect, but what he did do is submit himself to the truth of God's Word. Paul understood if he would press in. And get serious about God's plan for him. God would reciprocate that back to him. That's why God is encouraging us to seek for him. Seek for him. And then that, those are the things that, that maintain this helmet of salvation that he has given to us. Listen. Every aspect of our armor is established by God through faith. In fact, I would be so bold as to say that we receive nothing from God if it's not received by faith. Because in James 1 6 and Pastor Mel read it last week also. It says, and without faith, without faith, it is impossible. I, I, I don't know, but if, if something is impossible without something else, I need to have the something else. 
which is faith. Because then all things are possible. I wonder if that's written anywhere. Oh yeah, all things are possible for him who believes. God makes the impossible possible. It says there that, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that God is, and he is who he says he is, and that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now I know the word diligently isn't on the screen. But again, in the King James Version, that word diligently is there. It's inserted. And, and the thing is, is when we diligently pursue something, it, it means that Um, intent. It, it means that we, we pursue it with purpose and with intensity. It, you know, diligently doesn't mean hurriedly. It means with purpose and intensity in our lives. God never changes he is always the rewarder. If I or we are not seeing the reward, who changed? Are we not seeking? Or is God not giving anymore? I can't answer for you, but it's always been me. For the helmet of salvation needs faith to operate in our lives. In Hebrews 11:1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you look up that word assurance, another one of the sub- words in the in the greek that could be put in there and in some translations it is there it's the word substance faith is the substance of things hoped for and i this this morning as i was meditating on this i i thought what faith does is faith substantiates what we hope for. I mean, it gives it meaning. I, you know, if something becomes substantiated on the inside of me, it means it is. All of these things are what God is using to maintain this helmet of salvation. And the word conviction, I've always kind of phrased it like this. I refuse to believe anything other than God's word is true. There is nothing on the face of this earth that is truth in the light of God's word. I choose to believe God's word. Period. Because it's true. When God says I'm victorious, I'm victorious. When God says I'm righteous, I'm righteous. And nothing else can alter that. As long as my focus is maintained on that truth. 
it holds that helmet of salvation firmly in place. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the promise of your word and for the power of your word that is at work on the inside of us. Father, I just pray for each and every individual sitting here today that as we leave here, that your Holy Spirit would be working in us in such a way that, that, that we will uh, put into action in our lives the maintaining of your helmet of salvation. Father, that we will do those things that are necessary for us to remain strong in our faith and our trust in you. And Father, we do thank you and we do praise you for your great work in us. If you're here this morning with our eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and to be your Lord and Savior, we're just going to ask you to raise your hand. We want to pray with you. And we're not going to ask you to do anything like come forward or, or anything else. We just want to be able to pray with you and to pray for you. I'm going to wait just for a moment. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? Yes, I see that one on my left. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Okay, let's all pray this to, together as one. Father God, I come before you today to submit and surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Jesus, I ask you to come, forgive me of my sin, and make me new this day. And from this day forward, My decision is to not go back to where I was, but to continue to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.